and preaching. Uh, I'm, I'm one of these guys that gets on the roll and don't like to quit, but I want to do something a little different this morning. And uh, so I want to share with you, it's, it's been a great week. I tell you, it's so wonderful to see Sister Till sitting out here. I was, I was just amazed on Tuesday when we visited you to see you up walking around the house. And here she is in church. And then to go and see the McCrackens. What a different man he is. My goodness, I mean, he just, he just full of fire and life again. The Lord has really been blessing his life, and we're just so thankful. Saw Jill this week. She went through her surgery, doing well, and on the mend. And so it's, it's, just, it's encouraging to know what God's doing. John back to work and being able to work all those hours. God is good to all of us if we just learn to trust him. So thankful today for all that God has blessed us with. Kind of reminds me, though, of the story of the, uh, the country pastor out there, that uh, the early pastors, you know, many of them uh, did a kind of other work. This particular pastor, he had raised chickens and sold eggs and, and helped along with his salary. And One day he came in and he happened to open the closet and he looked in the shelf and he saw this box. He had never seen it before. He pulled it down off of the shelf and he looked inside and inside that box was three eggs and a thousand one dollar bills. He called for his wife. He said, what's this deal with the box? She said, oh honey, I don't want it to embarrass you. He said, how could it have embarrassed me? She said, I've been doing this for 45 years, ever since we've been married. He said, well, what's the three eggs about? Why are you saving them? She said, well... Every time you preach a bad sermon, I put an egg in the box. He said, well, 45 years of ministry, only three eggs, that's not so bad. He said, but what about the $1,001 bills? He said, oh, honey, every time I got a dozen, I sold them to the neighbor for a dollar. My wife don't have a box. She's got a bushel basket. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, life is exciting, and we're always exciting. I, I want to ask a question this morning on this subject that I want to share, because we're going to be coming into Holy Week, and we don't get a lot of opportunities with having services the way we do in the church nowadays to be able to talk about uh, Palm Sunday and then uh, Monday, Thursday, and then on into Easter, uh, into Friday on Good Friday, and then Easter morning. And so today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump ship, ship and let you in on some things that I want to share with you concerning Monday, Thursday. Uh, I, I've entitled this, Are We Washing Hands? Or are we washing feet? And I want, I want to share with you from John's Gospel, chapter number 13. In the 13th chapter, it begins with these words. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that his time had come for him to leave the world and go to his Father, having loved those, having loved his own that were in the world. He now showed them the full extent of his love. I want you to underline that. He now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening wheel being served and the devil already prompted Judas Iscariot, 
the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returned to God. So he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, as we talk about by Peter a lot, Simon Peter, who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall not wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then the Lord said, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash their feet. His whole body is clean, but you are clean, though not one of, not part of you. He said he knew that he was going to be betrayed. And that's the way he said every one of us is to be clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his cloth, and he returned to his place. You do not understand what I have done for you, he, he said. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. I tell you a truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the master greater than the one he has sent to him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Today I want to share about Monday, Thursday. It's a time we remember. It's a time when we reflect. It's a time when we recreate the moment of time in the upper room on that holy week. As you know, from time to time, Monday, Thursday, in most places, and even in the Church of God, we have come to the place to where we talk a lot about the Lord's Supper. We share a lot about communion, but today I would like to take a different approach. For you see, the Bible tells us, and we all know, that the Sanhedrin wanted rid of Jesus. But they had limited power and authority over Jesus. They wanted him crucified, so they took him to Pontius Pilate, who at the time was the governor of Rome. Pontius Pilate had authority. If he found Jesus guilty, he could punish him. Not only punish him, he could have to put him to the point of taking his life. Pontius Pilate knew Jesus was an innocent man. He passed him off to Herod. And when Herod encountered Jesus, he didn't want the responsibility of dealing with him either, and so he sent him back to Pontius Pilate. Pilate didn't know what to do with Jesus. 
There's a lot of people today that don't know what to do with Jesus. But Pontius Pilate didn't know what to do with him. He didn't need another scandal on his hands, and so he offered Jesus to the mob. He offered him to the mob. Choose you this day whether you would take this Jesus or Barabbas. But before he did that, he did something very interesting. He had a basin of water brought to him. i got a basin here this morning. Let me, let me illustrate. He took this basin of water. They brought it to him. He put some water in it. And then he took his hands and he put them in the water. And he washed them. And then he held them out to the people. And he said, I want you to know that I've washed my hands of this man called Jesus. I've washed my hands of him. It's up to you as the mob in the crowd. You deal with them. I'm not going to deal any longer with them. I'm not going to risk my life, my position. I'm not going to risk all these things for this man called Jesus. And so he washed his hands of him. In front of that crowd, as he washed his hands, he was symbolizing, I'm not taking responsibility for this man. Now, he was in the position that he, that of responsibility himself. You see, he was in that position where he could have taken every spot. In fact, he was in the position where he could have freed Jesus. He had the power to do it. But he took the route declaring, I'm not responsible. You know, we live in a world today where many people are just like him. We don't want to take responsibility for nothing. Don't, don't ask me. Don't ask my opinion. Don't ask me how it goes. You see, we come to the place where that's just not my responsibility. Let someone else handle it. Let someone else deal with it. And many situations in life that we could solve in a moment, we know. But we are afraid to take responsibility. We live in a world today where we are more focused on our rights. We're focused on our positions, our opportunities, very rarely do we ever deal with the area of, of what our responsibility is. Every person in this building has a responsibility today. God put you in this earth for a reason. And in the world in which we live today, we are used to washing our hands of things, aren't we? We're used to washing, but Jesus, shortly after that, asked for a basin of water to be brought to Him. He did not wash his hands. He didn't wash his hands of, of the disciples who rejected him, who failed him, who disappointed him. No, Jesus, instead of washing his hands and saying, I'm finished with you, knelt down with a basin of water and washed their feet, even though they had betrayed him in many ways. I want you to know Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And then listen to the words of the Gospel in chapter 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time for Him to leave this world and to go to His Father, having loved His own that were in the world. You know, He loved, the Bible says, that Jesus came to love the world. He loved those men. He loved those people. But catch this next part. He now showed them the full extent of His love. 
You see, the full extent of love is when we don't back away from situations. We don't back away from people because of who they are or what they've done to us. To the full extent of His love for His people, what Jesus was about to do was a direct manifestation of His heartbeat and love for His disciples. He loved them. It is His last object lesson that He gave to His disciples before He betrayed them and had taken Him all the way to the cross. He goes on to say, This evening meal was being served, and while it was being served, the devil had already, he said, already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power, and He had come from God, and He would return to God. So He got up from the meal, and He took off His outer clothing, and He wrapped that towel around His waist, and poured water into the basin. And He began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. And when He had finished, the Scripture says, Washing their feet, he put on his cloak, and he returned to the place. And he said to them, you do not understand what I have done. He asked them, "Call me. you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. That is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, catch this, you should wash one another's feet. I have set before you an example that you should do as I have done unto you, and I tell you a truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is any master greater than the one that has sent him. Please catch verse number 17. Now that you know these things, now that you know these things, he says, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, the reason why that I believe that sometimes in the church we are not blessed is because we know we've read this. We know what Jesus has done, but we have refused to do it. Oh, I ain't going to wash somebody's feet. I would never do that. I want to tell you something. I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed today. And so I'm going to do a demonstration for you. And I'm going to ask right now that if I could have Jonathan and Carol and Beverly come up here. You see, I've grown up in the church of God all of my life. I, as a little boy, as a young boy, have been in the men's group where they wash feet, and I've washed elderly people's feet. They've washed my feet, and we've done this through the years, and so I'm used to this. I know what it's all about. But you know what? We would gather in the room with the men, and we would testify, and we would sing, and we'd wash one another's feet, and we'd confess to one another and have a great time. But you know what? The Bible tells me that if I wash feet, that I'll be blessed. And so today, as Beverly works with Carol and I work with Jonathan, Jonathan, I want to wash your feet today, not just because I want to be blessed, but because I want to become your servant. Just because I stand on this platform doesn't make me any better than anybody that sits in the pew that's the father's back, lies all the way in the back. You see, he's just as important to the kingdom of God as I am. And so we have to learn to become servants of one another. And that's, what, that's exactly what Monday Thursday is all about, is being a servant of one another. And so I'm going to take that time. You all can start. I'm going to start over here, and I'm going to demonstrate to you. I hope you all can see what's going on. I'm going to take off my jacket. Take off my jacket. Let me, let me, get, let me have this one towel. I'll do it with Jesus. Jesus. The Bible says Jesus got up and he put that towel around his waist. Okay, that's exactly what he did.
put that towel around his waist. And then he took the basin and he poured water into the basin. And as he did this, he was looking at the disciple, and it was Peter. And the reason I want to say Peter, uh, Jonathan, it's you today, but the reason he did it with Peter, because Peter was the guy that always doubted everything he said. You know what? We got some folks in the church that are that way. They doubt everything you say. But you know what? He became around. And so Jesus was saying, I, I want to wash your feet because I want to be your servant today. And that's all there is to it. I just want to wash your feet and tell you I love you. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you and your family. I appreciate them beautiful little girls that you're raising to be such fine Christians. It's so wonderful to know that young people are still doing this today. Let me get the other one. And, uh, and so I, I just want to show you what it's all about. It, it's, there's nothing that, that is more precious than to know that I, that I have a brother that's willing to take off his shoes and socks and let me wash his feet publicly. <laughs> you see, because some people don't want to do that. But you know what? The Bible says if you're ashamed of me in this adulterous and sinful generation, I'll be ashamed of you before you stand before my father. And so Jonathan has not been ashamed today. And Pastor Swagger has not been ashamed today. I want to give you a big hug, brother, because I tell you what, God's going to bless you and your family. And God's going to continue to honor you. And uh, I'm going to let you put your shoes and socks on. And I'm not done yet. I just, I just paused. Okay? It hasn't, I haven't finished yet. But, but you know, that's what I told you. It's kind of hard for me to get started back up again once I quit. But I'll get around to it. And uh, I'm going to wait till these ladies are done over here. Because I'll tell you one thing about it. On Monday, Thursday, I guarantee you that when women go one room and the men go the other, unless they get me wrong this year, I'll be here. I'll be here on the 29th, okay? Because I want to do that, all right? But uh, for some unknown reason, the women are always later than the men. The men are done, they've sang and they've sang and they've testified and they're out in the hall and they're talking about lawn mowing and fishing and hunting and everything and the women are still praising the Lord over here. I don't know why, they just came to keep get into it more than the men. But I'll tell you what, if you'll come on the 29th, you'll have that same opportunity. It's a time of being a servant of God, a servant to one another, to loving God. If we love God, if the Bible says unless we love our brothers or sisters, how can we love God? How can we love God whom we've never seen when we can't love the ones that we are walking with day after day, week after week? Am I allowed to say something? Two minutes. Okay. You know, it's me too well. <laughs> you know, I was thinking uh, this morning in, in our Thank you, Jonathan. Bible school, and also, I mean, in Sunday school, but also in here. You know, back in Jesus' day, when a traveler traveled, he wore sandals or he had, didn't have shoes on. His feet would get extremely dirty. And so the master of the house would have a servant that was uh, appointed or would, for that day, if anybody came, to wash their feet. The master didn't do it. And when the the, the man would or the visitor would come in, he was appointed to wash the man's feet. He would take the traveler's feet that was dirty and grimy, and wash them, to make them fit 
and presentable to come into the master's house. And I was just thinking, you know, that's what Christ did for us. Our, our, our life is dirty with sin and corruption and mud. And he sent his servant, his son Jesus, the bee that had servant, that would die and wash our life, our body, with his blood. And that's what foot washing is. We're doing for our sister and our brother symbolically what Christ did for us. We were dirty. And he came to earth to wash us. Make us white as snow. Go ahead. Yeah, you got it. Okay. All right. Well, we'll let it go there. You know, it's interesting that night of the of the Passover meal because you see the Passover meal was put in a place that was borrowed. If you read the scriptures, you'll find that the, the that Jesus came to the room, the room that had been borrowed to be used as a Passover meal. It was a tradition that they did. It was a tradition that happened. And when you came into someone's home, just as Beverly had mentioned, it was provided a basin of water. Now, even though Jesus said, now when you clean up, when you come, they knew they were coming for a meal. They cleaned themselves up before they came. They didn't come just off of the street. But in traveling in those days with those sandals and the dirt and the dust that you would run into, your feet would get dirty. But I want you to notice something that I picked up that I thought was amazing. And that is that Jesus said that they, they would provide a basin of water and a towel, and usually it was the lowest of the lowest of the servants. If a servant had an ability to clean well, if a servant had ability to cook well, if a pers- servant had an ability to, to set the table well, but here's this servant that couldn't do anything right. And so they say, we'll put him at the door let him wash feet. And so you notice that it was the lowest of the lowest of servants that washed the dirt from their feet. And then when they would wash their feet, after they would wash them and get them ready, they would set their sandals aside and they would take them over to what we call the table. The table wasn't a table. It was interesting. We had a home that we rented one time to a couple that uh, that was from a foreign country. And uh, they invited us to dinner. They invited me several times, and I never went. I was always busy. But my wife accepts invitations to anything. And so we went to dinner. When we got there and walked into the house, they didn't have a table and chairs. They had a mat they laid on the living room carpet. And, you know, I, I can't even eat in bed, let alone eat on my knees. But I was down there in that house, sitting on the carpet as they brought the food and set it in the center, and then everybody just took out of it. And I got to thinking, you know what? That's probably what was happening on that, that last supper that Jesus shared with his disciples. And they sat around that, that place they called the table to consume the position that they would have, as, uh, you know, was not that much. But I begin to think about that. 
as they were there sitting at that table, recline. You know, they went to the table and, and Jesus was there and, and, and they were, as he was sitting there seeing them, I'm sure they were probably like most people, you know, when you get around the table, you got a lot to talk about and, and jesting and, and, and laughing and having fun and, and, uh, you know, Jesus was carrying the load of the world upon him that night. They didn't realize what all was going on in his mind and in his heart at that time. He was carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders, knowing that he was just within hours of being betrayed on a cross. Yet no one thought of serving him. None of them disciples thought of him. In fact, if you remember that night at the table, the disciples were were jockeying for position. You remember the story? They were jockeying. James and John had already asked to be seated, one on the right and one on the left. I mean, they were saying, Christ, because they really believed that He was going to establish a kingdom, and they wanted first in line, they wanted to make sure they were number one. That He would overthrow the Romans and He would take a position of power and authority. So these men that night around the table were consumed with position they would have and the title they would have in the kingdom, that brand new kingdom that he was about to start. Jesus knew this was going on in their hearts because the Bible says he already knew their hearts. He knew what they were thinking in their hearts and their minds. And that's when Jesus quietly got up from the table and he, and he took that basin of water and he began to try to paint a picture to them of what was going on. I would think at that moment when Jesus arose and went over and got that pan and poured that water in it and put that tile around Him and they saw Him coming back in their direction. I would guess to say at that moment there was a lot of conviction going on in their hearts. I'll bet that some of them were thinking, why didn't we think of this? Why didn't we think of doing this? Why didn't we assume the responsibility of taking care of our Master and our Lord? In that moment, Jesus was teaching them when He said, Men, this is not about position. Men, this is not about position. It's not about authority. It's not about the title or who we are. But it's about your heart. You see... It's about your heart. And I'll never forget, raised in the church of God, knowing I've done this all of my life, I can remember the very first year that I arrived at the campus in Houston, Texas. I can remember that first holy week when they would have services all week long teaching on these. Dr. Max Gawkey, some of you may have remembered him. Max Gawkey was the preacher that day. He was talking about it. Here I was, a new kid on campus. I'd just been there less than a year. I'm sitting down in the first or second pew, and he begins to talk about this. And he did exactly what I did this morning, only Jonathan knew I was going to do it. <laughs> but I was sitting there, and he looked over there, and he's talking, and he said, Gary, come up here. I thought, what did I do? I mean, the president of the college, I mean, he's this big shot. You know, he's... A little guy, but he's a big guy. Okay? He's smart. He's, he's intelligent. He, he, he's a president of a school. 
He's, he's a founder of the school. He started the school. And now he's calling me. One of the most humble things I've ever done before a body of 300 students, he tells me to pull off my shoes and take off my socks, and he's going to wash my feet. And I knew what the disciples must have felt that day that Jesus washed their feet. I was humbled. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it in all my life. And I told them later, that was the most humbling. I said, you scared the life out of me. But it was the most humbling experience I've ever had. What a humbling experience it must have been for these servants. It's about having, Jesus said, it's not about authority. It's not about position. It's not about what title you carry. It's about the heart. The heart. The heart we have for people. It's about having a heart of a servant. And it's the key to honoring me and the kingdom of my Father. One thing I've learned over the years of this simple practice of foot washing, it is simply this. We are all equal in God's sight. There are no big shots. There is nobody small. There's nobody that's bigger than anybody else or there's nobody that's in it more inadequate than anybody else. In the eyes of God, God doesn't see you as a man or a woman, a child or an adult. He doesn't see you. He sees your heart. It's the heart. We're all equal. In God's eyes, we're all equal. And that's what He's trying to say to us. We need to realize who we are. It's simply this. We are all equal before the Lord and, and that we are all servants of each other. When there was a need in the early church, remember it? No matter what it was, I thought about it. I watched a few of these go around the country and in and, and our town. They now show every once in a while on the History Channel, they show a barn raising. And I thought, how scriptural almost that is. When all of those armies people come together, you see the women carrying the food, you see the kids carrying the water, you see guys on the roof, down in the ground, on the side, everywhere. They're all coming together. In one week's time, they're going to raise a barn. Why? Because nobody is more important than the other. Everybody doing their own thing. That's what Jesus sees us. He doesn't see you in the church as, as someone being great or mighty or wonderful. You see, the only difference between you and me, God called you to teach, God called you to sing, God called you to do work, God called me to preach. We all just do it the best we know how. We're all equal in the eyes of God. God made the church that way. And so when I begin to think of it, it's, it's today, I'm not being critical today, but I think that's why that Monday, Thursday is the smallest crowd that we have throughout the year, every year. Because we have become self-serving society. I don't need anybody. I don't need you and you don't need me. I can do it by myself. I can accomplish it all on my own. And let me tell you something. That's the reason why you're not blessed. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, a lot of times we want to talk about money, but that's not all money. It's giving of ourselves. It's being willing to say yes. And sometimes, I, you know, it, it costs us something. 
I have a friend that's in West Virginia, where I pastored for a number of years, worked with me hand in hand when we tore the walls of that sanctuary out and remodeled it, when we built the addition onto it, when we paid in the new parking lot, when the church began to grow and all these things. He was at my side and today he's calling me and saying, I've got a mass in my stomach. And would you pray and I tell you, it's more than that. I'm going to make a trip to North Carolina. Why? Because he was a servant to me. And in a time of trouble, I need to be a servant to Him. You see, that's what it's all about. we got people that have had surgery. I thought about Jill the other day. With the, She had just had two of the kids at home when we were there. But they're lively little rascals. Got two in school. You know, here's a mother that can't hardly bend her neck. Man, we ought to be making sure we got food on that table. She shouldn't have to worry about any of that. Because, you see, she's in need and we become her servant. We become servants to those people. When someone has a problem, when someone has a difficulty, I can remember through the years in the church even, when somebody would have surgery, a hip surgery, a leg surgery, knee surgery, men would gather together and set up a day. We would make sure their yard was cut. We'd make sure that the snow was pushed away. Well, all of those kinds of things. Is it easy? It's easy to give. It's so easy. You know, I love serving. The problem I have is when somebody wants to serve me, that's my biggest problem. I remember our son was killed and it was mid of summer, snow, cold. A man that had been sick in his bed for months. I didn't want to shovel snow. I didn't care if anybody even came to my house. I was sitting in the living room, happened to look out. I was in split level, looked out the window, and there I saw him out there unloading a snowblower. Little old skinny guy, didn't weigh 110 pounds. Ended up dying of cancer. And he was blowing the snow out of my driveway. I wanted to go out there and shut that thing off and say, man, you ain't going to write doing this. <laughs> but you know what? God knew that he needed to do something because he knew I had a need. You see, we become servants. The church needs to learn that we're not here in title. We're not here as importance. I'm no important to you. There's nothing important about me. I'm just a, just a little Ohio boy grew up in the church of God. I don't know nothing more than you do. But I want to be your servant. But you know what I thought about this? We become so self-seeking so in our society, self-serving. You see, it takes a servant to humble themselves to serve others. Oh, yeah, we become servants. You become a servant to that job because you know you're going to get a paycheck at the end of the week. You become a servant to your kids. You become a servant to your hobbies. You become a servant to the ball team. You become a servant to your agenda. But what it takes, a real working of the heart to humble yourselves, to become a servant of the King of kings and Lord of lords. I can't because it's God's day. I can't because... God's allowed me to serve on a committee. I can't do nothing on that Tuesday because of that. I can't do nothing on that Thursday because I, I, I've, I've got an obligation to teach. I can't, I can't do anything on Sunday because I've got an obligation to teach a class. You see, we need to realize that we become servants of one another from those that have grown up in the church. And so that's the lesson Jesus was trying to teach. Now notice what He said. Jesus said, you will be blessed if you do this. 
Could it be that that's why we're not blessed as a people today? Could it be that that may be why you haven't got the full blessing, that you look around and hear everybody else talking about how the Lord did this and how the Lord did that and how He answered prayer? You know what? Sometimes it's just, just doing it. I was looking for your daddy the other day. The nursing home. Couldn't find him. I found him. I found him. But you know, I had an opportunity to witness the three other people while looking for your daddy. In fact, the week before I went to look for him, he wasn't there and I was in the wrong home. But you know what a lady said to me? I don't know that that guy's here, but there's a lady down the hall. Or there's somebody down the hall. She didn't say a lady. She had down, down at the end of the hall on the right-hand side. I walked in and I thought, man, I'm in the wrong room because this is a sweet little old lady sitting over here knitting. And I said to her, she said, well, can I help you? I said, yes, ma'am. I said, I'm, I'm, I kind of got lost. I'm in the wrong room. I said, but how are you today? And I began a conversation with her, and I said to her, is there anything I can do for you? I said, I'll tell you what, I'm a, how about if I just pray for you today? She said, oh, that would be wonderful. You see, a servant is so easy. It's easy. It's easy to be done. All we have to do is put ourselves out there. You know, that's the lesson Jesus is saying. Maybe the reason why we're not blessed is because today is because... Somewhere along the line, the message has got lost. You are no greater than the Master, and the Master came to serve all of us. All the way. All the way to the cross. Even as you were talking this morning, I thought about that when Jesus said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. There's nothing wrong with questioning once in a while. Let this cup... But, but nevertheless... Nevertheless, when somebody says, you can do this, or you can do that, and you begin to say, that, that's not me, I just didn't. But nevertheless, if nobody else in God's impressed you to ask me, nevertheless, I'll give it the best I can. And you know what sometimes works out better than when you planned it. That's the lesson Jesus was trying to teach His disciples that night in the upper room. He said, this is what it's, up. This is what it's all about. It's about our hearts being a servant of one another. The prayer that Jesus was praying that day would approach our lives with this kind of attitude that we would learn to serve others. That we would bring value to their life. There's nothing greater than serving others and bringing value to their life. I, I think of people through the years. You know, I think of a young man who, who had, I don't know, what Warren had? Four kids, three kids, four boys? Ornery little fellows. Four boys, he and his wife, when, when we first came to that town to go for, to become the pastor, let me tell you something, I told folks, I said, you know what, if I can, you do anything, need anything, or you can, you want to get to know me, I'll be glad to go with you. They were the first one to come to the door and said to me, my first Sunday there, tomorrow morning, can we take you to breakfast, you and your wife? I said, we certainly can. They drove up to my house in an old Oldsmobile. Do you remember it? <laughs> I mean, they had a dog that had tore the back seat out of that car. All there was was springs, and they laid a quilt over it. And we crawled in the back seat of that car, and we went down to McDonald's to breakfast with them. We came in December. And you know what? They came to our house with a Christmas tree about that high. 
in a pot with a red bow on the top. They wanted to serve us. They had, this couple had hardly nothing. But you know what? She went off one day to a conference, a Christian conference. Met up with some fellow and got connected up. And first thing you know, she flew away and left her husband and four kids. And we as a church had to take care of them. I'm telling you, that was a, that was a job. But I'm going to tell you what, the church learned. And from that, that man today is one of the greatest Christians you'd ever want to meet because people, people didn't look down on him because of all that happened. People knew that he was a man in need and it was a place for them to serve. Sometimes when things happen in life, it's, it's God saying to you, I want to teach you how to serve. I want to teach you how to serve. My kids learned that for all the time. You know, we lived in a neighborhood. Come Christmas, come Thanksgiving, before we could sit down to eat, they'd say, Mom, we've got to take that dish over to, over across the street to sisters to so-and-so. I've got to go over here to somebody else. You know, they were learning how to become servants. You see, we need to realize we're all equal in God's sight. So what is Jesus saying? He said, if you want to be blessed... Follow his example. I, I got a blessing this morning. I don't, know about, I don't know about Jonathan, but I got a blessing out of this morning. I don't know about Beverly and Carol, but I got a blessing out of the fact that I was able to wash my brother's feet, whom I love and I appreciate, and, and, and enjoy his presence, enjoy his nodding once in a while when I say something right in preaching because he knows all about it, you know. It's a blessing. If you're a believer today, Jesus is saying to you, through me, Jesus is saying to you that on the 29th, on a Thursday night at 7 o'clock, Jesus is saying, take up your towel and follow me. Last week I said, take up a cross. This week I'm saying, you take up a towel and follow me. And I guarantee you one thing, if you will do that, you will experience something you have never experienced in your life. In closing this morning, one of the greatest illustrations I had this past October, I had the privilege of going to the Holy Land. And we were traveling with a guide, and he was taking us in all these spaces where Jesus had preached and where things happened. In fact, we baptized in the Jordan. You know, we, we did all this. And when we got to this particular church, when you walked in, it was, it was the very thing I'm talking about. It was a statue of Jesus. And, and Jesus was washing Peter's feet. And people were walking by and they, they kept looking and looking like... And the guide said, you know what? You can't see Jesus' face unless you get down. He said, you've got to get down. And so some of them looked a little while and then pretty soon they, they'd just walk on by. Finally, there was a fellow up there in the front. I, I'll never forget it. The fellow got down. He wanted to see him. He got all the way down. I mean, all the way down, down. And he looked up and he got a big smile on his face. He said, you can't believe the tears that are coming from Jesus' side as he's washing Peter's feet. I thought that'll preach. Because I'm going to tell you, if you want to see the face of Jesus, if you want to see the joy of Jesus, get down on all four and be a servant. Because there's nothing better, nothing greater than serving God through serving one another. We're going to sing a song this morning.
I, I just wish Mindy was available. Mandy was available, but she's not, so it's going to be Dick and I. But there's a song in, uh, in your hymn book, if you want to turn to it, if they might have it on the screen, 530. It's a song that says, follow, follow on. And uh, I'd like to start with the course, if you will. Let's do the course first, and then we'll go back and do a verse. And Y'all can do this. You, you know this song. I'll start you on it, and then you'll do it, because I'll probably get you off key. All right. Stand up with me, will you? And if you have that need and you want to follow and you want to be a part of it and you want to make that commitment to Christ so that you can be ready for that 29th. You can be ready for it. Okay? Let's sing that chorus first and then we'll go to the verse. 